The idea of submission in marriage has been debated by Christians for ages. The book of Ephesians says for husbands and wives to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. But what does that look like in practice? We explore after the music. Welcome to the Upwards Podcast, an initiative of Upper House on the campus of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Through meaningful conversations, we explore the life of the mind and questions of the soul to enrich our university, our community, and the church. Be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your preferred podcast service, and check out our upcoming events at upperhouse.org. Welcome back. I'm Dan, Director of University Engagement at Upper House. Most of us think of gender roles in a marriage in a specific way. Whether it's the roles our parents had, what we've seen on TV and in the movies, or even what we've heard preached in church. All of these things go into shaping our perception of these roles. But where does God's vision for our lives align and diverge with our perceptions? Upper House's senior writer, Susan Smetzer Anderson, sits down with Joy Qualls to talk about Joy's journey as a university professor, wife, and mother. Susan and Joy both share how the roles they play in their families and at work require them to be attentive to Christ's call on their lives. At times, they felt out of sync with church cultures that have prescribed gender roles that don't fit them. They're not alone in working out what it means to be faithful to their calling and their families and trying to navigate tricky terrain alongside their spouses. Joy currently serves as Associate Professor of Communication Studies and Associate Dean in the Division of Communication at Biola University. In addition to her academic affiliations, Joy serves on a National Advisory Committee for the Network for Women Ministers, which is part of the General Council of the Assemblies of God. She recently contributed to the book titled Power Women, Stories of Motherhood, Faith, and the Academy, the focus of today's conversation. We hope you enjoy this Upwards Conversation with Joy Qualls. Well, Joy Qualls, I am so excited to talk with you today. I have enjoyed your book chapter enormously. Um, We are coming into this podcast talking about what it's like to be the breadwinner in a marriage, but there are so many other things involved in that, just relationship and care for one another and how we listen to God. And so I'm going to open up our conversation today just simply asking you to tell me a little bit about your spiritual and intellectual journey. Sure. Well, I'm grateful to be with you today and get an opportunity to have this conversation. So um, I'm a church girl. I uh, was born and raised in the church. Um, I am a fourth generation Pentecostal by theological heritage. Um, uh, My family came into Pentecost through the Assemblies of God at the turn of the last century. And uh, was was raised in a culture. Today, we would probably use the term holiness. I don't know that we hmm. had language for that in the culture that I grew up in, but we were we were a very cloistered community in the sense hmm. that um, uh, while well, I grew up in a small town in rural America, um, our our church was a separate community, even from our small hmm. community, um, and our time was spent at the church. Hmm. Uh, so Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, a couple of weeks a year for revival, anytime something like that was going on, our our life centered and revolved around the church. So yeah. I, I don't know there that there is a time when I can tell you that I didn't know Jesus, um, but, uh, but I have come into faith um, uh, securely as a young woman and, and, um, 
did my undergraduate work at Vanguard University, just down the street from where I am here at uh, Biola. And um, uh, it was there that uh, my faith was strengthened, um, mm. in some ways challenged, but uh, where where I really came to a, an understanding of um, God's call in my life and who uh, I was in Christ and um, have just journeyed with him uh, ever mm. since. And so that's kind of my my theological uh, heritage. Um, but uh, but I would but I would say it was also in my college experience that my call to the academy, came. I didn't recognize it at first. Um, I was studying to go into government and politics and, wow. and would even spend some time in that space. Uh, but it was it the seed was planted there. Let's just mm-hmm. say when I when I finally um had the realization and the recognition myself, the response from the faculty who had, who had sort of mentored me and yeah. and brought me into the academic world um, was it's about time. So oh, really, <laughs> um, so yeah, oh yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so it was it was a just a reaffirmation of of something that I think had been stirring in my heart for a really long time. What um, did that they, they see well, in you? I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but no, that's okay. Yeah, no, what, that's okay. What did they see in you that made them think you should be in the academy? Oh, that's a good question. You probably should ask them. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think probably the response would be thinking, thinking to a couple of specific people that there was an intellectual curiosity mm. uh, for the work of the academy, not just um, what it meant to be a student. You mm-hmm. know, I wasn't, um, I wasn't there just checking boxes and meeting requirements and things like that. I wanted to understand how the academy operated. Hmm. I wanted to understand the meaning of the things that we were doing. Um, I uh, I was a student who came from um, a fair amount of poverty. And so mm-hmm. uh, I was there on scholarship and on the generosity of the American taxpayer mm-hmm. in terms of of you know, Pell Grants and student loans and other things of that nature. And so I didn't want to waste a moment of of my time there and the resources that I had. And and so I think some of that was was recognized early on. Wow. Well, you know, I think that sometimes we use this word of academy and in general what we're talking about is the college and the university world that we've both spent a lot of time in because I was a perennial student. My father actually called me downwardly mobile because I was always going back to school to learn something. And I had a real yearning to understand why people made the choices they made and how they are persuaded to do one thing or the other or why they lean into certain ways of viewing the world and not others. And so, you know, my study of communications, which you also studied, um, led me to go to a master's program in Denver and then led me to Wisconsin, where an environment, quite honestly, that was quite different than what I grew up in in Texas. So um, in some ways, you take these leaps when you make these big changes and go forward in a degree program. And I wonder if you felt like that. Yeah, I I can relate to that very much in the sense that... um, one, I was looking to escape the world that I had come from, mm. uh, that I didn't want um, to be limited in the choices that I had. But also, 
I wanted to know that if I was going to remain in a community that I belonged in that community. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so for me, it was, it was wanting to leave the community I was, that I had grown up in and, and not because I didn't, I didn't have, you know, strong connections there or, or, or things like that. It just, it felt so limiting to me and Mm. it felt, um, the lives of, of particularly women, but also men in my, in my family, um, Mm. felt restricted and Mm. felt, um, limited and their choices limited. Mm. And, and I didn't want that. I didn't want to be limited. Mm -hmm. And, and so it felt like the doors of opportunity were housed in that college experience. Mm -hmm. So that was one. But Mm -hmm. once I got there and I discovered all of these other people who had different political beliefs than I was raised with, who loved Jesus and different um, social Mm -hmm. community understandings, urban and and Mm -hmm. suburban uh, ways of living, who also loved Jesus and Mm -hmm. people from other denominations who Mm -hmm. had different theological um, uh, backgrounds than I did you know, who were also Christians, because again, I was sort of raised under the cloud of like, well, we're the real Christians and these people mm. um, have dead religion or they have um, false religion or whatever it mm-hmm. happens to be to discover here were people I was living with who did not share. In, f- in fact, some of who questioned the theological underpinning of a denominational school, which mm-hmm. was sort of strange to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all lived together and we all had to learn to to right. come together and so so it so it was both a it was both an escapism but it was also a a a sense to say well where do i belong do i belong in these other mm-hmm. traditions or mm-hmm. do i have a space in the tradition that i was that i was raised in and and the answer for me was that um the tradition i was raised in was not harmful to me I just needed to figure out what my my space was in that right. in that tradition. And so many times I think when we are going through these different stages in our growth and our eyes being open to other possibilities, we also start questioning some of the roles that we inhabit. And so you and your husband got married when and and tell me a little bit about meeting him and what he did sure. and your marriage. Yeah, so we met um sort of by accident. I had been uh, new to uh, an area of Virginia where I was going to go to graduate school. I was looking for a church that I would feel comfortable with. And I always started with churches in our denomination and mm-hmm. and had explored a couple of others and and they didn't feel like good fits for me. And I, I happened to see a church on the freeway that had a <laughs> Assemblies of God symbol on it. And I was like, okay, I need to find that church. Um, but the, but the service times were wrong in the, in the, it was actually called a church and good business guide um, that I found, and it, but they were wrong. And and mm-hmm. I thought I was going to an early service. There was no early service. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was directed to a Sunday school class um, and would later put two and two together that the pastor's son was teaching the Sunday school class. Um, I made an assumption that it was probably his son and his wife who were teaching the class, oh. but it wasn't. It was... Um, it was the son who was just slightly older than I was. And um, our friend Melissa, who was there at the same time, says, you know, I walked in the room and after that, we were the only two people in the room. But I, I don't quite remember that way, nor does my husband. So um, I don't know that that was the case. But but we struck up a we struck up a friendship that really grew. And we were 
we were best buddies for five years oh, before wow. we got married um, mm -hmm. and had a really intense and good friendship. And and in fact, the struggle to define our relationship as something more was was very um, was a lot of pressure mm -hmm. and something neither one of us was necessarily looking for, for most of the early days of, of that relationship. It was sort of outside pressure of like, well, if you're going to have this you know, intense of a relationship and and such a, a committed relationship, you should be moving in another direction. And and we didn't quite understand that for a while. And and then, um, you know, through a series of circumstances, I think we came to the realization that that this is what love is. Love is not this, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, romantic movie, overwhelming emotion, um, unparalleled attraction. <laughs> love is the um, Love is the consistency and stability mm -hmm. of of two people who are committed to one another, mm -hmm. and 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 that is when our relationship shifted. I think much to the happiness of of all of those around us. Right. Um, but uh, I mean, during those years, we dated other people and would come and like go out together after those um, <laughs> dates with other people and kind of compare notes and talk through that relationship and oh, and stuff. But but yeah, so we were married in 2005 um, after a, a, a five-year um, relationship and um, and were married in Virginia. And, and less than a year later, um, again, through sort of a series of, of circumstances that neither one of us could have predicted or, or planned, found ourselves um, jobless and nearly homeless because our the housing boom was taking off and they were oh. going to turn our apartment building into condos to sell. So, mm -hmm. so we weren't evicted because of anything we had done wrong, but mm -hmm. they were going to, they were going to convert these apartments into condos and, and sell them. And so we had to get out. And so we were sort of at a place of like, what do we do? And um, I was finishing up a PhD program and my husband was kind of trying to chart his next steps. He had worked in social services and um, the counseling space for a while. And so we um, had a mentor who reached out to us and said, come to Springfield, Missouri. And hmm. at first we both were like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> uh -huh. um, but uh, but we, we saw the hand of God in that. Mm -hmm. And so my husband went to seminary for two years to finish his master's in counseling. Um, and I would take odd jobs uh, along the way while I was trying to finish my my dissertation um, and what we thought would be two years, and then we would return to Virginia, um, which we both loved. Uh, we were in Missouri for nine years. We had wow. two children, two dogs, and owned a home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and and then uh, in 2015, the Lord called us to Southern California again, a a space that neither one of us had any intention of ever me returning to or him ever mm -hmm. living in, mm -hmm. um, but but the Lord's plans were were greater than our own. Yeah. And you also wrote in your chapter that you had those two children like within 13 months of each other, right? And you were writing yes. a dissertation. And if I misunderstood that, let me know. But it, you no. were... No. Yeah. You were, I think, doing three jobs at once with two <laughs> kids, <laughs> a marriage, a dissertation. Yeah. Um, and I can imagine that was really... Uh, an intense decision time for you too, as you it were was, trying to juggle was, everything. It was a really, um, 
it was a beautiful and yet a really difficult season in our life. We we had planned for our daughter, our oldest child, because I was supposed to be done with my dissertation work. I was in my early 30s. Mm-hmm. And so we were feeling the the biological pressure there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we thought, you know, we'll have one child. We'll see how you know, this plays out in our family. Um, we'll be done with our, you know, our our schooling and we'll sort of, you know, move on with our life. And uh, my dissertation was delayed um, mm. just shortly after she was born. And so uh, she was born in January of 2010. I defended my dissertation in August of 2010. Um, and I hid the fact that I knew that I was already pregnant again. Okay. Um, it had been... Uh, a really challenging season for us. Um, my husband had lost his older sister to cancer mm. and we had just had this baby. And I think we both were sort of um, trying to figure out who we were and mm. and what God's plans for our life were. We were working and going to school and all, you know, had this little human we were trying to figure out how um, mm-hmm. to to take care of. And the devastation, quite honestly, of discovering that we were pregnant again was was just about more than I could handle. Mm. Um, I couldn't pressure. understand. It was. It was too much pressure. It was why why had God called me to this thing that that had taken me mm-hmm. fifteen years from the time of my undergraduate schooling all the way to this place. I knew how much my daughter required, and now I was going to have a second one that also required this attention and this these needs and and both my physical body as well as my emotional and spiritual body. And um, what did that mean? Right. And so my my son was born in March of 2011. So I had three kids in two years. Um, and oh, you had three kids. And Oh, that's right. Well, I mean, my dissertation. My dissertation. Yeah. Yeah. I I birthed that child. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so, so, you know, here we were and, and I got the call offering me my first full-time university contract while I was in the hospital after having given birth. Wow. So it was this conundrum of like, who am I? what do i what am i supposed to do what is the role mm-hmm. that i'm supposed to play and um i was not one of those women who had a deep longing for children mm-hmm. i had determined early on along with my husband that if we were able to have children great if we weren't that was also going to be fine and we mm-hmm. would be fine um because i had watched so many people i loved struggle through fertility issues and and the devastation on their lives and finances and right. and i just wanted to figure out a way to be content in all of those things mm-hmm. and and that was distressing because here i was able to have a baby without hardly thinking right. about it you know right. and and so it was a lot of cognitive dissonance and a lot of exhaustion mm-hmm. and um and challenge um but by the time my son was a year old, um, my husband had gone back into social services after finishing his uh, master's degree and was working in some pretty intense abuse and neglect situations. The program that he worked with with the state was 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 an effort to keep families who had been marked for um, child removal together, trying okay. to keep those families together. So it was what we, what was called intensive in-home services. Mm-hmm. And that program was ending through the state, much to all of our chagrin. 
Um, it was very successful, very popular, but you know, right. um, the economy took a turn. It sure did. And, yeah. and even those good, even those good programs, you know, were, were put on the chopping block in, in favor of others because of, of what was seen as budget cuts. So, you know, we were sort of in a place again of where do we go? Where do we belong? What, what are we supposed to do? And mm-hmm. it was at that point that my husband came to me and said, you know, you have a great job and you have a great role at the university. And we've been pushing really hard for the last several years. And I want to break. I, I want to take some time away. And so if, you know, what would you think if, if I left working full time and I stayed home with the kids so we're not having to pay for childcare and, you know, figure out, um, you know, basically his salary was going to pay for childcare. And we, right. had, we had come to sort of that conclusion. And so often it's the woman who's in that position. Mm-hmm. Her work is paying for the childcare. And so mm-hmm. we, were, we were working through decisions that many families have to work through. Right. Ours just happened to be me with this, with the job that was able to be a little bit more stable and um, have some of those things that we needed and, and my husband not. And, and like I said in the chapter, we didn't set out to be some sort of model only for upside down gender roles or challenging the establishment of evangelicalism or any mm-hmm. of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. We were operating out of pure and total necessity. Right. And and I would say out of much prayer and and thoughtfulness to say, Lord, you know, we think this is the path that we should take. And is mm-hmm. this okay? Um mm-hmm. and and both of us really felt the the peace of God over that situation. And and for the next decade, uh, both by choice and by circumstance, um, my husband would take on part-time work as he felt um, called and able, but he was the primary caregiver for our two children and learned how to do girl laundry right alongside <laughs> of <laughs> whatever the other kind of laundry is yeah. and, and um, you know, went to his mom and said, I, I, need, I need the recipes you made for dinner and I need to learn how to you know, to do these things. And, and, and he really stepped up into a place that, um, you know, I just, I I can't speak highly enough of it. He just took this mm-hmm. calling on mm-hmm. with a passion and an exuberance that um, was just so beautiful to see. Um, but while we saw that, not everybody around right. us saw that, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and it wasn't until um, a, a handful of years later, we had been doing this for a while, and I was in a class with a group of students. It was a it was a general education class, so I had lots of students from lots of different places, and and it was co-taught by another faculty member. So it was myself and a male faculty member who taught this class, and we had been talking about the gender of God and 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 who God is and is does God have a gender and what does that mean in our human constructs and and so we had asked the question why is it great to be a girl why is it hard to be a girl why is it great to be a man why is it hard to be a man and a young man in the very back of the room in this large lecture hall bravely raised his hand and said it's great to be a man because we get to lead women mm-hmm how did and that go over? <laughs> you could you could sort of hear the air get sucked out of the room, right? Mm-hmm. And every eye trained on me. And I and I looked back at my more seasoned uh, male colleague, and he said, "Oh no, 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 no! This one's this one's all you." <laughs> and you might and mention I, you might mention here though, 
Were you known as a feminist? Were you regarded? Oh, as sure, a- sure. Uh-huh. Well, my work. So I, I should I should back up just a minute. My my dissertation work, my research work was in the area of women's leadership in the church, mm-hmm. um, and so you automatically get labeled as the you know the women's liberal and the feminist mm-hmm. and the you know that person when you do this kind of work. And and was I an advocate for women? Absolutely. Was I was I somebody who who felt that part of my role was to champion particularly young women at the university in their call 100%. So yes, I I mean, I had a reputation Mm -hmm. um, ahead of time. But I remember in that moment, just feeling the weight of the moment Mm -hmm. and not wanting to take this kid's head off, you know, Mm -hmm. not wanting to feed the stereotypes of these things. And I, I just remember pausing and asking the Lord to speak. And I went, I walked to the front of the room and I said, you know, and the young man's name was Billy and I'll never forget him. Um, And I said, you are so right that one of the great things about being a man is that you get to lead. And I want to tell you what leadership looks like in my family. Hmm. And I said, you know, here's who my husband is and this is the role that he plays. And every day, every single solitary day, he has to make the choice to die to himself, to die to whatever his longings and desires are for his life, to sacrifice those things on behalf of our family, that he has to die to the expectations of the world and the church and the culture in which we live that says men are supposed to be providers, which we assume that means money makers and outside workers, that our expectation is that the Bible somehow articulates a leave it to beaver world, as opposed to that being a post-World War II cultural expectation that was generated. Um, He has to die to all of those things. He has Mm -hmm. to die to the family he grew up in where mom did give up. She gave up her own education. She gave up her own career until after her children were well into their school years, um, who sacrificed her call on the altar of her husband's call all the time. And, and with, and with, um, um, honor, like that Mm -hmm. wasn't, she wasn't a martyr in that situation. Like that, she gave those things up as unto the Lord. And, mm-hmm. and, and so he was doing that same thing. He just wasn't doing it as, as his dad. He did it as, as the role that his, his mom chose. And, and I said, that's what leadership looks like. Right. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus gave up everything. Mm-hmm. Jesus gave up his power and his authority and his place and 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 put on our skin and our our fallenness. He was tempted mm-hmm. in every way that that we're tempted but did not sin, you know, mm-hmm. but he but he became us when he was the god of the universe and he calls us to be like him. Mm-hmm. And so you are right. My husband is the leader of our home and this is what leadership looks like. Um and the beautiful thing is, is that I get to lead alongside him mm-hmm. because he's so secure mm-hmm. in who God has called him to be and the things that God has called him to do that I get to be here with all of you. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this man. Mm-hmm. And look at what a beautiful thing it is 
that I get to be here. And I and I just wanted to turn it on its head mm-hmm. that leadership is positional and leadership is financial and leadership is some sort of authority or power that no leadership is in, in the cruciform nature of Jesus, leadership is dying. Mm-hmm. Leadership is taking up your cross. Leadership is shedding the expectations mm-hmm. and doing the thing that God has called you to do. Yeah. And you know, that's been my goal through all of this is not to champion the role that I held, although I'm I'm proud of the work that I do, I'm proud of the positions I hold. I I hope I am an example to both young men and young women, but it's not a personal champion, it's to say the greatest gift that has been given to me in this season is a husband who loves and honors and cherishes me mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. to be able to say, I will be the one who lays right. down these things for our family. And God has honored that. Mm-hmm. He's, he's honored that. There were lots of years where I prayed desperate prayers of like, Lord, please give him a job, give him a purpose, give Mm. him a, you know, but the reality of it was, was that I was in the wrong in those situations because Mm. he was doing what God called him to do. Mm -hmm. And our children, you know, I, I grew up in the latter half of my life in a single parent home. I had watched others of, including those, I said, there's worse things than not having a dad in your life. And sometimes having a dad in your life is one of those things. I had seen that Mm -hmm. with friends and family. And here my kids had this man whose Mm -hmm. full attention was devoted to them, who when they woke up in the middle of the night, you know, sick or scared, they called for their dad. And that was such a beautiful thing to me, even even in the midst of my own insecurities about what the culture said a woman should be and what the role of a mom should be and Mm -hmm. all of those. Did I want my kids to call for me? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But every time I would look at their relationship with my husband and think, who gets this? Who yeah. who gets to have this relationship? And that's the relationship that I think God is beckoning us towards. So again, mm-hmm. he, my husband served as a model of Christ-likeness to me and ministered mm-hmm. to me more times in this space. And I, and I think my kids would say, say the same, same thing. And I, and I use past tense, um, a little bit on this <laughs> because, um, because for the first time in a decade, my husband did return to full-time work um, this year. And again, I would say it's it's just so God-honoring that God honored our prayers, God honored our sacrifice, God honored the obedience that both he and I were willing to walk in. And and that man is living his best life right now. Oh, is he? Um, just, just thriving, you know. He's uh, he also works at a university setting, and I will tell you, he's a better teacher than I am. He's a better parent than I am. He's he's just you know in in so many ways, just just leaps and bounds over all of the things that that I've even accomplished in in my own life. And I'm I'm just so proud um, of him personally, but also um, of the way that he's navigated this. And yeah, you know, one thing I love about what you've talked about is he is examples of Jesus, but he is also exemplifying what you've talked about in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, where you talk about the mutual submission to one another. And I wonder if you could just talk about that a little bit about that sure. Ephesians passage. 
Well, you know, again, I think too often the scripture gets used as a bludgeon, um, oh. both against men and women in the roles that we play. And so oftentimes the passages in Ephesians 5 about the role of a wife and the role of a husband, a, a woman is supposed to love and the, or, or supposed to respect and the husband is supposed to love. And, and, and those passages um, in, the, in the 20 verses of, of Ephesians, which I believe are all true, but somehow in the editing process, verse 21 got separated from mm -hmm. 22 and following. Mm -hmm. and, and Ephesians 5.21 says, submit yourselves one to another mm -hmm. as unto the Lord. And I think the, the challenge with that is I think it's supposed to cap off all of those other things. Like, here's how you submit yourself one to another. Here's how you these things play out. Mm -hmm. But because they're separated, we assume that's part of the previous section. And these things mm -hmm. are separated from that. And I I don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. I see it as as a as a continuation. Really, there's the umbrella, right? You remember that old like umbrella image of of what you know authority and submission look like the umbrella is we're to submit ourselves one to another as unto the lord and here's what it looks like for a wife to submit herself and here's what it looks like for a husband to submit right. himself and and so i think again the call of submission is the call to death right husbands are supposed to love their wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for it mm -hmm. right so like actually what i'm called to do as a wife in submitting and and respecting to of my husband is is not nearly as dramatic of a call <laughs> as the one that he's called to but it doesn't matter because it's not a contest of who mm -hmm. gets to submit more right because mm -hmm. the capstone verse is mm -hmm. submit yourself one to another mm -hmm. as unto the Lord. And I think when we miss that, mm -hmm. we miss the beautiful um, plan that God has laid out both in, in how God relates to us and in and, and our relationship with him and how God expects us to relate up up to himself. Mm -hmm. And and those were the things that we were created for. We were created for relationship with God. We were created for relationship with one another. And so I don't like, Ephesians doesn't bother me at all. Mm -hmm. Because when I read Ephesians in the in the way that makes the most sense to me with those verses together, mm -hmm. it all clicks. It all mm -hmm. makes perfect sense. And and when we leave that out, mm -hmm. we leave out a significant um, foundationary standard for how we are supposed to relate to one another in marriage and in friendship mm -hmm. and in community and in all of those things. And and, and the outflow of that is all of this other um, stuff as outlined in Ephesians. Yeah, and there's that aspect of death being, you know, dying unto ourselves. But what we get in return is real life. Real life. And it's not a life defined by roles, but it's no. more a life defined by following and obeying God and, and finding our calling in the midst of living out that dictate to submit to one another, to yeah, love one another yeah. genuinely. And when I was reading your chapter, I was really struck by the fact that it felt like such a love letter to your husband. And it was beautiful. And I imagine you could hand it to your husband and he would receive it and, and just realize that his life has ended up blessing enormously the life of his children, as well as you. And when I hear you praising him for the work that he is doing now, 
It's actually a real affirmation of the fact that his obedience has yielded this fruit and put him in a place where he can now do these other things. That there is yeah. a complementarity to that that I think is really beautiful. So yeah. um, I just really appreciate the way you frame these relationships. Well, and, and it is very much that, you know, if I was, I was determined through over the, you know, throughout these years, because of the messages I would receive and the messages that he would receive about the spaces that we inhabited. I, I mean, I just can't tell you the amount of hostile emails and the amount oh. of, um, you know, Twitter DMs that, that are condemning of me and my research and our family and 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 derogatory towards towards my husband that in all things I would seek to honor him and the choices that he made on behalf of our family mm -hmm. because um that it was not just a uh um pragmatic decision it mm -hmm. was a, a decision bathed in prayer and it was a decision we revisited often and it was a decision that came with a lot of of scorn and you know i i even had people who um ideologically maybe would have affirmed everything that we were doing who were like you know people are concerned about your family situation mm. and i would be like why why are people concerned about my family first of all like what business is it of theirs and second who would not want want i mean i have i have lived the most charmed life mm -hmm. For the last 10 years, because this man um, gave of himself every day for me and our family, like, what a gift. And, and to be honest with you, what an answer to prayer. Mm -hmm. Because my life, all over my life, I longed for someone to love and care for me in ways that I had not seen mm -hmm. um, uh, outside of my mom and my grandparents and, you know, the people I thought were tasked to love me, you know. And then God gave me this amazing human being who um, seeks the Lord above all and makes these choices that are countercultural. And I just see Jesus in him all the time. And so, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to put him on a platform and make him Jesus because that's not right. who he is either. But, but I, I just can't express enough how much respect and mm -hmm. how much love I have for this man and and the choices that he made because he made our life better and and he mm -hmm. made our life good and and even though I would say him returning to full-time work and me being in the positions I'm in and our kids being a little bit older has has changed our life we we can afford things we couldn't afford right. before we can do some of those things it hasn't been easy you mm -hmm. know like I have to help with the dishes again. <laughs> I have to, you know, we're we're dividing up chores or we're having to think about like who picks up the children and who right. takes the children and you know things that I took for granted for a really long time because I had this person who I could count on and and even now, you know, he's 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 still trying to figure out what he can release because he came to love um the things that wow. he did around our our home, you know, so, right. so I'll say to him, you know, I can make dinner. That's fine. You know, and he's like, but I love to make dinner, Aww. you know, that that's my, um, come down from the day, you know, and stuff. And so, so, you know, we're having to navigate a whole new, a whole new world, but, but my, my respect and my love and, and my, um, uh, my care for him only right. grow in this, right. in this season. Well, and there's, 
A word that you've used um, a couple of times, I think it was negotiation or maybe it was navigation. I know it began with an N and they're close <laughs> kin. Um, I've really, having been married now for three decades, which absolutely blows my mind, um, I've been struck <laughs> by how hard marriage is. I mean, we aren't always prepped, I believe, rightly, for the fact that marriage is like one of the longest, hardest relationships you're ever going to have. And it involves a real commitment to communication. And so Mm -hmm. when you were negotiating all of these different decisions and changes, I imagine you guys spent a fair amount of time really unpacking what all of those things involve and what sacrifices might be entailed. And I just wonder, is that true? Did you guys really make an effort to communicate and be really honest with one another? And of course, I'm yeah. the way I'm framing the question makes you say, well, yes, of course we did. But, you know, it's possible that you didn't, but you found your own way through it. So I'm just curious. Well, I think there were seasons that were better than others. You know, we we had seasons where we were super intentional. We would take time away right at the new year and we would sit down and we would plan out goals and we would plan out you know, what we wanted that year for our family to look like. And, and those were, those were amazing seasons where we were able to do that. And there were other seasons where we were barely able to keep our head above water. And, and we often felt like ships passing in the night, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. sometimes that also meant we were, we were stones bumping into each other. And, and so I, I wish I could tell you, you know, yes, everything was done with such intention and, and <laughs> such, you know, um, planning and preparation. But it, the the seasons were different, you know, depending mm-hmm. on on a lot of different factors. But I would say the the commitment never wavered. Um, one of our vows um, when we got married and, and a commitment my husband asked for when he proposed to me was that we could face anything that we would come across if we faced it together. And even in those hardest seasons where we weren't able to be, or we were choosing not to be as intentional as we could have been, we would say to each other, we can get through this Mm -hmm. as long as we do it together. Mm -hmm. And that would just reorient us back that we were not fighting each other and we did not have to fight the world on our own. Like we were better together. And, mm-hmm. and the Lord was going to see us through and he did. And, and, you know, as much as I would say, I want us to get back to some of those disciplines that we had in the early years or, or even some of the mid years, you know, I, I also, I don't sacrifice or, or condemn the hard years where we had to no. be iron sharpening iron, bumping against one another, because we probably actually grew more in those seasons than we did in the intentional ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, having a therapist and a communication specialist married to each other helps a little <laughs> bit because, but, but sometimes again, you take those things for granted, right? right? That you know this stuff, but, but we've had to return our disciplines and say, okay, what, what is a good way to have a, a discussion about this? And are we using good IU language? And are we, hmm. um, you know, asking clarifying questions and are we listening to one another, um, and so I'm thankful for that training and that background that's also, you know, in the in the hard seasons, given us a place to fall back to. What do you think your children have gleaned from watching you guys um, through this past season? And what do you hope they glean? Well, I think one of the funniest things was um, as my husband was was um, 
being prepped to sort of go back to work, he he said to me at one point, mommy, did you know that boys can be professors too? <laughs> and <laughs> it was this just great, like, you know, he, 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 he'd only known professor mom and, and this idea that dad could also go do the same thing was just so great to him, you know? So, so I hope some of what our, my children have gleaned is that, um, uh, these pre pre prescribed roles are not um, demands upon us. They're 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 cultural things that have developed over time, and and that I hope my children have gleaned that when you walk in obedience, the Lord honors that obedience. And I think they have. I you know I I think they've seen the way um, their dad has has um, shouldered. Uh, so much in caring for our family that they see that 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 is what a leader looks like. That is, you know, it's it's not about the things the world tells us that it's about. It's about somebody who who is willing to take up their cross and and follow Jesus. And but I also hope that they see that that their potential is not based on their gender. It's not based on their um the the role that they play you know mom's mm-hmm. not a leader because she's an associate dean mom's a leader because god has called her to be a leader you know and mm-hmm. um i want my son to have a different perspective of women in the same way i want my daughter to see herself differently than mm-hmm. you know and and vice versa i I, mm-hmm. I want them to see those things so um i think we're i think we are seeing that um i mean i'm grateful to have these amazing kids that we have who um are pretty well adjusted and and you know are are successful in the in the world that they inhabit and i hope that we have modeled for them the things that we say to them you mm-hmm. know that you know boys can cry and girls can be angry and mm-hmm. you know these things that where when they they express something we're able to not um, say things like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, but, but to say, you know, tell me, tell me why we have big feelings about that, or tell me why that frustrates you or, you know, and that we've them in the, in the life of our family. They're, they're part of it. It's, right. it's not, you know, parents and then our kids, they're part of it. And you guys pray together too. We do. We do. You know, I, I, there's times I feel guilty because we don't have extended times of Bible reading and, you know, devotions together and things like that. But, um, just the other night we were, we were out on our way to the symphony and we stopped for a quick dinner and out of our habit, we prayed together before we ate about the day and our food and all of those sorts of things. And, and the family next to us at the table stopped afterwards and we're like, that just meant so much to us, hmm. you know, to see you, see you pray together. And, and so I think some of those things we take for granted that this mm-hmm. is just part of our life. But, but the truth is, is that it, that it, that is a very intentional part of our life. We don't, we don't just pray out of habit or rote um, obligation, but because we have to depend on the Lord for right. all of these things. Well, I am very grateful for you. And I actually heard you say the word grateful more times than I could count during our podcast. (laughs) And I actually think that is uh, something we should note. I think we should note the fact that you recognize the value of what you have been given. You recognize the value of what your husband has done. Um, But you too have done 
you know, you two have broken your own role models. You, excuse me, you two have become a role model of sorts. And um, I think recognizing that's really important because you both have worked hard to do what you've done. Yeah. And yeah, I think your right. kids take that lesson to heart. And if they don't always appreciate it at this stage of the game, they will definitely appreciate it later. So I just want to say a real thank you to you for your time, um, for your sharing your story and for being so genuine. It has been a genuine pleasure for me. Thank you. Well, it, it's it's my pleasure to to get to be with you and to and to get to talk about these things and and you know, I, I don't say any of this to diminish my own self and, and those mm-hmm. things, but, but to just say that I am in just incredibly grateful, f- you know, to God for the many blessings that he's bestowed upon me and generations of prayers, mm-hmm. um, not only that I've prayed, but that were prayed for me that I see um, not only the fruit of, but I see his hand continually at work. And wow. that is worth being grateful for. It certainly <laughs> is. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to check out our upcoming events on upperhouse.org. The Upwards podcast is supported by the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation. It is produced at Upper House in Madison, Wisconsin. Hosted by Dan Hummel, music by Micah Bear, audio engineering by Jesse Koopman, and graphic design by Madeline Ramsey. Please follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn with the handle at Upper House UW.